The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Imagine sitting on the back deck of a yacht, soaking up Pacific sunshine off the coast of Mexico, with a cold margarita in one hand and the love of your life in the other. No more work, just the pure bliss of retirement and endless summer, swimming with the dolphins at sunset in the Sea of Cortez, a beach in every bay, and a party in every port. This was the life of Tom and Jackie Hawks in 2004. It was the kind of life everyone dreams of. The kind of life a person would just kill to have. Join me now as we take a look into the sudden disappearance of Tom and Jackie Hawks. A loving couple living the cruising lifestyle aboard their yacht. You'll learn how the investigation into the couple's disappearance uncovered a complex network of murderous co-conspirators with one simple motivation. Money. In 2003, John Peter Jarvie, known to everyone by his initials JP, was determined to turn his life around. The 45-year-old living in Southern California was smart, funny, and extremely good-looking, but he had one problem. During his teen years, he became addicted to cocaine and heroin which continued to plague him as an adult. Despite starting his own business, getting his pilot's license, and rubbing shoulders with California elites, he never managed to shake his lifelong addictions. Eventually, JP's drug use torpedoed all of his romantic relationships, strained his family ties, and left him flat broke. He eventually resorted to stealing from his family and attempted to counterfeit money in his home. It wasn't long before the Secret Service showed up at his door, arresting him for the fake money he was printing. While serving out his eight-month sentence in the Seal Beach County Jail, JP believed he'd finally caught the big break he needed, a way of getting out of financial ruin and turn his life around for good. His good fortune, the man he shared his cell with, who just so happened to be a wealthy businessman named Skylar DeLeon, and as luck would have it, Skylar took a liking to JP, and he said he had a plan to make him a very wealthy man. Skylar claimed to have insider trading information about a big oil deal that was about to go down. He told JP he could be a part of the deal if he came up with $50,000 to invest. As soon as JP was released from jail in December, he began looking for ways to acquire the money to invest with Skyler. And on December 26th, on his 45th birthday, JP took out a cash loan using his condo as collateral, handing $50,000 in cash over to Skyler. To celebrate the deal, Skyler invited JP to accompany him on a trip to Mexico the following day. The plan was to stay at Skyler's beach house in Ensenada, 
and Skylar would teach JP how to surf. That night, JP called the number of an addiction hotline twice, perhaps desperately trying to ensure he could keep himself clean, despite the temptation to party. This was just too good of an opportunity to squander by relapsing into old habits. But what JP didn't know was that Skylar didn't own a beach house in Mexico. He also didn't have insider trading knowledge, wasn't a businessman of any kind, and certainly wasn't rich. In fact, Skylar was a manipulative con man who was in debt up to his eyeballs. He was also still in jail. After being arrested for armed burglary, 24-year-old Skylar was sentenced to a year in jail, but somehow was able to manipulate the system into giving him the coziest jail sentence imaginable. Skylar was granted permission to partake in a work furlough program, allowing him to leave jail 12 hours each day to work. He was then able to convince a judge to let him work from home, which he never actually did. Instead, he spent his days doing just about whatever he wanted. Essentially, his sentence only required him to sleep at the jail, and even that was a cushy situation. Skylar quickly befriended the night shift jail guard, 19-year-old Alonzo Machain, taken in by Skylar's tales of extreme wealth. Often, the two would be found playing PlayStation together until 2 or 3 in the morning at jail. They even began hanging outside of the jail when Skylar was supposed to be working. But just like with JP, Skylar was simply conning Alonzo, grooming him for much bigger plans down the road. On December 27th, JP met Skylar and hopped into his SUV, loaded with wetsuits and surfing gear, excited for a trip to Mexico with his new friend and former cellmate the friend who was supposed to make him rich. Joining the two on the trip, following in a separate vehicle, was Skylar's cousin, Michael Lewis. Michael was also excited about the surfing trip, although he was shocked to learn from JP that Skylar supposedly owned a house in Mexico. After crossing the border, the two vehicles made a pit stop where Skylar had a secret conversation with Michael, telling him, the JP had just gotten out of jail for money laundering for some very dangerous people. In fact, he said JP was the reason Skylar had been caught and sent to jail in the first place. Michael began to get the impression they hadn't gone to Mexico for a fun surfing getaway. On the outskirts of Ensenada, along a barren stretch of desert highway, Michael stopped at a military checkpoint and was held up for a few minutes by the guards. By the time he caught back up to Skylar's car, it was parked alongside the road. When he pulled up to the SUV, he spotted Skylar, leading JP blindfolded out into the desert and down into a gully. The last thing Michael saw before the two men stepped out of view was the hilt of a large knife poking out from Skylar's back pocket. Not wanting anything to do with what was happening, Michael drove away from the scene as Skylar pulled out his knife and slit JP's throat, leaving him to die alone in the desert. Skylar then drove himself back across the border to the Seal Beach County Jail, checking back in for the night. 
Although Michael didn't directly witness the murder, he was pretty sure he knew what had happened and became extremely concerned. Skylar had just made him an accomplice. A few weeks later, Michael received a phone call from Skylar's wife, Jennifer DeLeon. She told Michael that if the police ever came by asking questions, it was him and Jennifer who went to Mexico, not Skylar. The police would no doubt have Skylar's vehicle on camera crossing the border, and they needed to be prepared with an explanation. The reason for their make-believe trip? To get some ice cream in Tijuana. A few days later, Skylar also called Michael and told him that some very bad things could happen if anyone ever found out Skylar had been in Mexico. After initially being questioned by the Mexican police, Skylar was soon cleared as a suspect in JP's murder and was released from jail on January 12, 2004. Skylar's release was just 10 days after the birth of his and Jennifer's first child, but if Skylar ever had any dreams of being a better father than the awful one he'd had, he was already off to a bad start. Skylar was born in 1979 to Lynette and Big John Jacobson. Big John was a small-time criminal with connections to the Mexican drug cartels, and Lynette was already addicted to hard drugs when she became pregnant with Skylar at 18 years old. Skylar's early childhood was nothing short of nightmarish. Not too long after he was born, Big John started cooking meth, which meant there was a constant revolving door of dangerous characters coming and going from the house. Eventually, it became too much for Lynette, and she left the marriage, leaving Skylar to be raised by Big John. Besides being a drug dealer, Big John was also a pathological liar and an excessive disciplinarian. He physically abused his son from the time he was a toddler, dishing out severe punishments for even the most minor offenses, and whenever there weren't any real offenses to punish, he'd simply make them up. By the time Skylar was around 11, Big John decided his son was going to become an actor and enrolled him in acting classes and martial arts. Skylar's difficulty memorizing lines infuriated Big John, resulting in regular outbursts of anger on set. But despite Big John's desperate attempts to turn his son into a star, Skylar was only ever able to land roles in a handful of commercials and non-speaking roles in two episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. To this day, Skylar has no idea how much money he ever made from acting because his father squandered it all. As Skylar grew older and kept up with his martial arts training, he discovered something. He realized he could stop his father's abuse by overpowering him. Big John was actually five foot five inches and his nickname was always an ironic one. Sadly, by the time Skylar was able to block his father's beatings, he'd already suffered an entire childhood surrounded by drugs, crime, fear, and a pathological liar. In 2002, Skylar met Jennifer Henderson through a dating website. Jennifer's childhood was the complete opposite of Skylar's. Born into an evangelical Christian family, raised in a stable environment by two loving parents, 
and never exposed to the sorts of nefarious things Skyler had experienced. In September of 2002, the couple were married after only dating for six months. Placed on Jennifer's finger was a $10,000 platinum and diamond ring. Oddly, no one seemed to question how a couple making a combined income of only $35,000 a year could afford such a luxury item. Despite her good upbringing and apparent lack of flaws, Jennifer had an expensive taste and love for money. Wanting to impress his new fiance, Skyler quickly went about dreaming up new ways to get more of it. During their short engagement, the couple managed to rack up nearly $20,000 in credit card debt. That's when Skyler began to resort to practically the only lesson he'd learned from his childhood. Crime pays. And sure enough, just three months after the wedding, Skyler was arrested for armed robbery and sent to the Seal Beach County Jail, where he soon met J.P. Jarvie, along with an opportunity to make an easy $50,000 even if it meant getting his hands dirty. And Jennifer, well, she went right along with it. After JP's murder and Skyler's release from jail, Skyler continued to groom his jailer friend Alonzo to take part in another scheme. He often took Alonzo out fishing on the ocean, hooked him up with another job working for Jennifer's dad, and continued his facade of an extremely wealthy guy. In October of 2004, Skyler told Alonzo he had a plan to acquire a yacht. If Alonzo agreed to help, there would be a really big payday waiting for him. Skyler flipped through the for sale section of a boating magazine and showed Alonzo the specific listing he had in mind. A 55-foot yacht named The Well-Deserved. Jackie's coming today. Got the boat all cleaned up. And I think I'm going to take a shower after I work out and shave my beard. Not a bad beard for 15 days, huh? Ah. So waiting to see her. This is Captain Tom Hawks and well-deserved. For the past two years, Tom and Jackie Hawks have been living their dream retirement cruising up and down the sunny coasts of California and Mexico aboard their yacht, the well-deserved. The vessel's name was more than appropriate for the couple, who worked so hard and saved their entire lives. Tom had worked as a firefighter and a probation officer, while Jackie raised Tom's two boys from a previous marriage. Far from being the typical upper-class cruisers, Tom and Jackie were decidedly middle-class enthusiasts who chased their dreams of owning their own liveaboard. In the couple's homemade videos, their shared happiness and joy for life was utterly infectious, their mutual love for one another unmistakable. Tom and Jackie Hawk's actual lives looked like a walking advertisement for sound retirement and financial planning. But after two years living the cruising life, they decided to cast off in another direction. Something more important had come up that demanded their attention. Say hi, Grandma. Say hi, Grandma. You gonna smile? Huh? You gonna smile? You're such a dog. Yes, you are. 
You're just a tiny little boy. Yeah. With the arrival of their first grandchild, Tom and Jackie decided to sell the well-deserved and settle back on land. Their plan was to buy a house on the Sea of Cortez in the Mexican resort town of San Carlos, downgrade to a smaller boat, and make frequent trips to Arizona to watch their grandchild grow up. With the decision made, they listed their yacht for $435,000, and it wasn't long before they were contacted by an interested buyer, Skyler de Leon. On November 1st, 2004, Skyler called Tom asking for a tour of the boat. Just five days later on November 6th, Skyler and Alonzo showed up to the marina to meet the Hawks. After being welcomed onto the boat, Skyler noticed Tom seemed to be a bit apprehensive about the sail. Perhaps Tom's history working as a probation officer had given him a sixth sense about shady characters. However, Skyler was equally skilled when it came to manipulating people. That's when he called his now pregnant wife Jennifer to come down to the marina to help put the Hawks at ease. Soon Jennifer strolled down to the docks, heavily pregnant with their second child, pushing their 10-month-old daughter in a stroller. Immediately, whatever suspicions Tom may have had had been erased as he began to see Skylar was a harmless family man and the deal was on. With the sale of the boat imminent, Tom and Jackie boarded the well-deserved with friends on November 11th for their final cruise to Catalina Island and returned to Newport Beach on the 13th. Jim, Donnie, Brian, and Vicki, this is our last trip to the island because uh, we sold the boat. And we're all having a really good time. Now she's filming us. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jackie. I'm so glad you could join us on our last voyage on Well Deserved. By this point, Tom, Jackie, Skyler, Jennifer, and Alonzo all thought they were on the precipice of getting exactly what they wanted. Tom and Jackie believed they'd sell their boat and begin their new lives as proud, doting grandparents. Skyler, Jennifer, and Alonzo believed they would get the well-deserved and everything else Tom and Jackie had in their bank accounts. They also believed they could get away with it. There was no way Tom could have known that Skyler and Alonzo had in fact originally planned to kill him on November 6th when he gave them the first tour of the boat. They'd actually been armed with stun guns and handcuffs but Skyler had no idea just how big Tom was until he saw him. Tom was an avid bodybuilder and fitness enthusiast, an absolute hulk of a man, who even at 57 years old displayed a massive chest, arms, and abs with hardly an ounce of body fat. Intimidated by Tom's size, Skyler realized after first seeing him they were going to need a third man to carry out their plan. That's when he decided to get the Hawks to agree to meet again on November 15th to take the boat out on a sea trial, the yachting equivalent of a test drive. In the meantime, Skyler needed to track down a third man. He settled on a former gang member named John F. Kennedy, also known as Crazy John or CJ, just the kind of muscle Skyler would need to execute his plan. 
And just as was planned, on November 15th, Skylar Alonso and CJ boarded the well-deserved with Tom and Jackie before the yacht was put out to sea. The Hawks savored what they knew would be their last few hours aboard their favorite boat. They had no idea it would be the last hours of their lives. While out at sea, Alonzo was chatting with Jackie up in the boat's galley when suddenly there was a large thumping noise coming from below deck. Concerned, Jackie called out to ask if something was wrong, only to turn around and find Alonzo slapping a pair of handcuffs around her wrists. He then forced Jackie down into the stateroom, where Tom was lying on a bed, beaten badly and bloody. After handcuffing Tom too, they threw Jackie on the bed beside him, placing duct tape over their eyes and mouths. Soon, Jackie was brought up to the galley and the duct tape was removed from her eyes. Before her on the table were several printed documents Skylar was demanding her to sign. The title for the boat and a durable power of attorney form. After Jackie signed them, they forced Tom to do the same. The Hawks were then both taken to the back deck where Skylar bound them together with rope. Still blindfolded, the couple soon heard the unmistakable sound of an anchor and chain being dragged across the deck. Skylar then tied the loose end of the anchor chain to Tom and Jackie, then went over to the side of the boat and threw the anchor overboard, dragging Tom and Jackie across the deck and into the water, never to be seen again. Immediately, CJ and Alonso began cleaning up the scene of the crime, wiping down the interior of the boat with bleach wipes, attempting to erase any forensic evidence. The handcuffs, stun guns, and any bloody items were thrown overboard. Setting the autopilot back to Newport Beach, Skylar sat on the back deck and began fishing with the cold beer he'd taken from the fridge effortly and remorselessly slipping into the lifestyle of the couple he'd just murdered. By 1.30 in the morning, Alonzo, CJ, and Skylar were back at the harbor. During the trip, Skylar had called his fourth conspirator ten times, the silent partner, a person who helped plan, orchestrate, and support the operation from shore, his wife, Jennifer. In the days following the murders, Skylar and Jennifer set about to enact the second phase of their plan, draining the Hawks' bank accounts. Through a friend, Skylar found a notary named Kathleen Harris, who was willing to notarize and backdate the boat title and power of attorney documents. Although Kathleen had never committed a crime before in her life, she was persuaded to, for a price, $4,000. She had no way of knowing the depth of the crime she'd just committed. Next, Skylar and Jennifer attempted to access the Hawks' bank accounts by showing a bank teller their notarized power of attorney over the Hawks' finances, but due to the extreme oddity of the situation, the bank refused to give them access until the documents were thoroughly reviewed. A camera at the bank captured the encounter, showing Skylar and Jennifer smiling attempting to make the transaction. In total, 
there was around a million dollars in the Hawks' accounts, their entire retirement nest egg. The Hawks family noticed when Tom and Jackie suddenly stopped calling or checking in with any of them after the 15th, but they all agreed it was possible Tom and Jackie were simply on an adventure somewhere outside of cell range. But as the days dragged on and there was still no word from the couple, the family knew something was terribly wrong. On November 27th, Detective Dave Byington with the Newport Beach Police received a missing persons report over his fax machine. He immediately noticed that something was different about this one. The report had been filed and prepared by a retired police chief named Jim Hawks, Tom's brother. The initial legwork to verify Tom and Jackie were indeed missing had already been thoroughly investigated, including call logs, witness accounts, and most importantly, a suspect, Skylar DeLeon. Jim Hawks knew what he was doing and wanted detectives to take the case seriously from the get-go. After hearing from the bank that Skylar and Jennifer had tried to access the accounts, Jim and the rest of the family became convinced of foul play. A few days later, Detective Byington and his team were able to locate Jennifer and Skylar, interviewing them separately. The couple each told detectives the exact same stories. Skylar and Jennifer had purchased the well-deserved with cash in the parking lot of the marina. The titles and power of attorney documents were signed on the hood of the Hawks Honda CRV. Kathleen Harris had notarized the documents on site, and Alonzo was there too, signing the documents as a witness. They both said that after the sale, the Hawks happily drove away in their CRV, and they hadn't seen or heard from them since, which they said was disappointing because Tom was supposed to show Skylar how to operate the boat. When asked about the power of attorney documents, the DeLeon's answer was odd, but simple. And again, they each told detectives the exact same story. Tom and Jackie were looking to buy a house in Mexico, where Skylar claimed to have dual citizenship and would be able to facilitate a purchase for them, since buying houses in Mexico is difficult for non-citizens. When Byington asked Skylar, how it was possible he could afford the boat, his answer surprised the seasoned detective. Skyler said the money came from an old drug deal he'd helped a Mexican cartel pull off. While the explanation seemed strange to the detective, he was inclined to believe Skyler, since he'd been so frank about it, admitting to money laundering in the process. Despite their strange accounts, everything seemed to check out. In the days that followed, Byington interviewed Kathleen and Alonzo as well, who also each told the exact same story. But to Jim Hawks and the rest of the family, none of it made any sense. But because every witness was telling the exact same story, police really didn't have much to go on, certainly not enough to make an arrest. With the trail going cold, Byington decided to take the case to the media on December 1st and held three press conferences where they blasted the description of the Hawks Honda CRV and Arizona license plates across the country, giving the case national attention. 
On December 15th, Newport Beach police received a phone call from Mexico saying they knew where Tom and Jackie's CRV was. Are you sure, they asked? I'm looking right at it, was the reply. Racing down to Mexico, Byington and his team watched as the Mexican authorities questioned the new owner of the vehicle. When asked where he got the car from, the man replied that Skyler and Jennifer de Leon had given it to his son. Immediately, the detective knew Skyler and Jennifer had to be their prime suspects. If they'd both been lying about seeing Tom and Jackie drive away in the CRV, that meant Kathleen and Alonzo had also been lying. That's when it hit Byington like a ton of bricks. Everyone had been lying about everything. Skyler was soon arrested, officially for money laundering, while they built their murder case against him. On January 4th, 2005, Kathleen Harris approached prosecutors and told them the truth about falsely notarizing documents in exchange for immunity. Alonso initially fled to Mexico, but eventually agreed to testify if they promised not to seek the death penalty against him. When they finally interviewed Alonso, it was the first time detectives understood the horror of what had actually happened to the Hawks. Skyler approaches me with this, uh, this plan he has. He was going to do something that, you know, was going to make some money. So he offers me to help him. The plan was, is that we were supposed to basically kidnap them and take them out to sea and toss them overboard. And how was he planning to do to do that? Tasers. A taser. First, they, tasers. He, he thought of tasers. Okay, did he have two tasers? Yeah. He told me to get handcuffs. handcuffs. I purchased the handcuffs at uh, Uniform Express. And as before you got on the boat, what did you have an exact plan as to how this was going to go down? No. Another startling revelation during the interview was the involvement of CJ. Up until the interview, they didn't have a clue, yet another person had been involved in their scheme. Mr. Hawk was able to uh, lift his legs somehow, and he tossed Skyler off his feet and knocked him on his butt. By kicking him? Yeah. And right behind him, the black guy just takes a big swing at his, at his side of his head, and just I'm pretty sure he knocked him out. I didn't believe what I was looking at. He just pushed him. Throughout the interview, Alonso's voice broke several times as he was sometimes hardly able to recount the nightmarish details of that day. At any point, Alonso could have saved the Hawks and stopped any of it from happening. Instead, he willingly participated and watched as Skyler and CJ carried out the final act. At this moment before they were put right before um, Skyler was holding him. Did he? What did he, he tossed it. At the same time they were being pushed, or? Uh, at the same time. How was Skyler acting? Maybe while this was happening? He was he was calm. This is while they were being bound, bound and tossed overboard? He yeah, was calm. he was calm. He was like, it was the, the most normal thing. Alonzo's testimony essentially sealed the fate for everyone involved in the murderous plot and was the key piece of evidence allowing them to prosecute Jennifer as well. As a witness for the prosecution, 
Alonzo would tell his story in front of three separate juries during the trials of Skyler, Jennifer, and CJ. Ultimately, Skyler was also charged with the murder of J.P. Jarvie after Skyler's cousin Michael Lewis finally told the police what really happened down in Mexico. Skyler was convicted of first-degree murder for all three homicides and was given a death sentence by the jury. Jennifer and CJ were each found guilty for the murders of Tom and Jackie. Like Skyler, CJ also received a death sentence. While Jennifer was given life in prison without the possibility of parole. In return for Alonzo's guilty plea and testimony in the other trials, he was given a sentence of 20 years in prison. I want to give some context to this moment and an expression uh, of why uh, we're here, why I'm here, and why I moved forward just moments ago with an executive order uh, advancing a moratorium on the death penalty in California. In 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed an executive order placing a moratorium on executions in the state for as long as he's governor. Although he didn't change CJ and Skyler's death row status, it did at least temporarily give them a reprieve from facing the death chamber. As various laws in California associated with the death penalty continue to be argued and litigated, the possibility they might get to live out the rest of their natural lives behind bars grows a little more each day. For the Hawks family members, news of the death penalty moratorium was difficult to hear. Tom's son Ryan summed up the family's feelings by saying, they were promised justice, but the state never followed through. Detective Byington was a little more blunt and called Governor Newsom an asswipe. In 2019, Skylar DeLeon made headlines again by legally changing genders and now identifies as a woman. During Skylar's life before the Hawks murders, she often spoke to those closest to her about wanting to get sexual reassignment surgery, although her reasoning to others was always medical-based and not about gender identity. The reason she gave Jennifer was She'd been born a hermaphrodite and needed the operation to remove her uterus, which posed a cancer risk. But like many other things Skylar had claimed over the years, this too was also a lie. She hadn't been born a hermaphrodite, and she definitely didn't have a uterus. The truth was, Skylar had known she'd wanted to be a woman since she was a teenager. Records show... Skyler applied for the $16,000 reassignment surgery five months before the Hawks murders, despite already being heavily in debt. On the application, Skyler selected November 30th as the date of the operation, just two weeks after the murders, a time when Skyler and Jennifer believed they'd be in control of Tom and Jackie's bank accounts. Although it was not presented specifically by the prosecution as a motivation for the Hawks murders, it's now generally believed that Skyler was motivated by desperation to come up with the money required for the operation. Despite a tragic upbringing that perhaps doomed Skyler from the start, nothing can justify what Skyler did to Tom and Jackie. 
the absolute horror which was expertly delivered by District Attorney Matt Murphy in his closing arguments at Schuyler's trial. The water was dark and it was deep and it was freezing cold. No wetsuits for them. No provisions for their suffering in any way. The shock of that freezing cold water. How do you cry and hold your breath? How do you swim when you're handcuffed behind your back? A 65-pound anchor is going to pull them down pretty quick. When does the first lungful hit her? When did she stop holding her breath? And during that time, is she feeling the man that she loves struggling for his life? This is the worst possible way you can die, down into those depths, sinking fast. And Skylar DeLeon planned it, to the last detail. Skylar planned for them to die that way. Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G E